All right. So this month, as we start this new year, we're talking about identity. Last week, we talked about our our personal identity. We talked about how we are children of God. As Pastor Tina talked about in our communion time this morning, we are children of God. And that is our identity. Anything else that we put our identity in is going to leave us searching and wanting for more. Whether it's your job, how you dress, your hobbies, the car you drive, all those things, people can put their identity and who they are in those things. And every time that we do that, when we fall into that trap, we are left wanting for more. We are left dissatisfied. And because our true identity is as children of God. And the question then becomes, will we operate in that? And we talked last week about Moses and how he protested against God. God had this amazing plan for him to go work through and, and uh, you know, deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. And Moses four times protested and finally just said, send somebody else, God. I don't want it to be me. And in his protesting, it was because he realized, or he didn't realize, I should say, that he was a child of God. And as we talked about that last week, you know, we had a great meeting. If you weren't here, you can, go, you can go listen to it online. But it was a powerful time, an awesome, fun time in the Lord. We were shouting, we were believing for things, and it was great. But what happens after that is, what do we do with all that, right? Because as we operate in this, in this understanding that we are children of God, there is work to be done. Right? And as we're believing for all these things to happen in our lives, and our families' lives, and our friends' lives, and at Beaches Chapel here as a whole, what we're really believing for, whether you understand it or not, is personal growth in the Lord. Because as we're believing for this person to have this happen, or me to something like this happen for me, God is going to say, okay, here's how I'm going to use you in that. And with that comes stretching. With that comes work. With that comes change okay we can't grow without change all right i've said that a million times and i'll say it a million more we can't grow unless we are willing to change growth requires change and so are we willing knowing that we are children of god are we willing to be stretched are we willing to work are we willing to change so we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, and we're going to pick up the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 29. And what happens here is Moses has had his time with the Lord, and he's now said, all right, I'm going to do it. And so this is where the story kind of picks up. Verse 29, then Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt and called all the elders of Israel together. Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses, and Moses performed the miraculous signs as they watched. Then the people of Israel were convinced. Everyone say convinced. 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 They were, the elders of Israel were convinced. And let's, th- listen, this is so important. That word right there is so important for what we are going to be talking about today and how we are going to be living out our lives from today going forward. The elders of Israel were convinced, okay? They were convinced that God had heard their cries, Okay? It says that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped, okay? So they they have Moses and Aaron come and speak with them, and they're blown away by the miraculous signs that Moses does, and they are convinced that God has heard them, and he is going to set them free. 
And the result of that being convinced is they have a good old-fashioned night of praise. Right? They just start worshiping and bowing down to the Lord and praising God. He's heard us. Yes. And so we see not only in their words, but in their actions that they believe with all of their heart that what Moses and Aaron are telling them is true, that God is going to rescue them. They're convinced. Okay? So let's just hold on to that real quick, put a pin in that, and let's keep talking. Okay. Here's something that we need to understand. As we, be, as we have begun this, this time of prayer and fasting, okay? And as we start raising our expectations for what God is not only going to do in our own life, but in the people's lives around us and here at Beaches Chapel, we need to understand something. And it's not a fun understanding, but it's that we are, in essence, we are kicking the hornet's nest here, all right? We are poking the bear by raising our expectations and, and speaking out about believing in miracles and praying for one another. We are, we are kicking the hornet's nest we are riling up the enemy. And we need to understand that because it's one thing to be attacked by the enemy. It's another thing to be completely blindsided. And so as we begin to pray more in the mornings, as we, as we continue our fast and we continue to be expectant, we need to know that we're kicking the hornet's nest here a little bit. But that's okay. And we're going to get to that in just a second. Okay, so let's continue reading. It goes down to uh, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, After this presentation to Israel's leaders... Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. You can almost just hear Moses' confidence here. You know, the Charlton Heston, let my people go, all right? You know, I mean, he's just full, he's, he's full of it. They just had a worship time with the elders of Israel. They're all fired up and filled up and ready to go. So he goes to the Pharaoh and that's, you know, he doesn't mince words. He says, let them go, all right? Verse two, <laughs> is that so? Retorted Pharaoh, and who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let them go. Wait a second, Pharaoh. I had this conversation at this bush that was on fire that wouldn't burn up with God and he said he was going to let his people go. And then I did this thing with a rod. I turned into a snake. I put my hand in and I get leprosy and I don't. And then I go to the elders, we have this awesome time, and, and you, you, God's going to do something. No. He's kicked the hornet's nest. Let me tell you something. The enemy does not just lay over, lie over and roll over and play dead when we storm his castle. The enemy is not about to just roll over and play dead as we storm his castle. But I can also say this. If God has told you yes, the enemy can say no until it's blue in the face. The answer is still yes, okay? The answer is still yes. And so as we, as a church and as a family and as God's people, storm the enemy's cap, uh, castle, excuse me, which, by the way, make no mistake about it, that's what we're doing, all right? We are storming the enemy's castle, and we're taking back what he's stolen from us. He's not going to roll over and play dead. But just because he says no, if God has already said yes, the answer is yes. And so as we ready ourselves for the attack of the enemy, don't be blindsided by it. Be encouraged by it. Because we know that we're doing something. 
If, if the enemy wasn't threatened by us, he wouldn't pay attention to us. But it's only when he's threatened that he starts to buck up a little bit. All right, the story continues. That same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they are crying out, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to the lies. The enemy just attacked. He's not taking it lying down. Moses and Aaron have stormed the castle, and the enemy is upset. And there might be times when we upset the enemy. And listen, don't misunderstand me. I am not trivializing anything that you are walking through. This is a brutal order that Pharaoh has put on the Israelites. Double the, double the labor, same amount of product. Make them go get their own straw. They got to work harder and produce the same thing with less means to do it by. They're already having backbreaking labor and he's just made it harder. And the enemy wants to do that to us. He wants to put more on us when we're believing for deliverance to weigh us down and to break us. And he is going to attack us. But what we need to know, no matter how hard the trial, no matter how hard the no, every attack of the enemy will fail. It will fail. And as you are walking through whatever you're going through, and again, I'm not here to trivialize it or make it seem small. It can be very, very big. The truth that we need to hold on to in that is that it will fail. Because again, like we said last week, when we operate in God's business, the only outcome is victory. That's it. If God has said yes, it doesn't matter what the enemy thinks. It doesn't, and you know, here's the other thing. We don't need to be in these moments that we're, that we're struggling with. We don't need God to be extra. You know, we, we, we look at that in ourselves, like, I gotta do more, I gotta be this, I gotta do other. God doesn't have to be extra in our trials. He just has to be himself, right? He's, he doesn't have to look at what we're going through and say, oh man, I gotta, I gotta do more. He doesn't, have to, he doesn't have to ratchet it up a little bit and turn it up to 11. He just has to be himself. You see, when the enemy attacks, God doesn't change. He doesn't panic. He's just himself. It's like, I got this. I said yes, Remember? So the things that he's putting on your heart in these next 20 days going forward, remember that if he said it, if he's ordained it, it's going to happen. But we have to be ready to withstand the attacks of the enemy. There's a whole big difference between hearing the lies of the enemy and believing the lies of the enemy. We can hear them till the cows come home and it won't have any effect. But when we start believing them, that's when things change. Continuing in verse 19, the Israelite foremen could see that they were in serious trouble when they were told, you must not reduce the number of bricks you make each day. As they left Pharaoh's court, they confronted Moses and Aaron who were waiting outside for them. The foreman said to them, may the Lord judge and punish you for making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You have put a sword into their hands in an excuse to kill us. Okay. The Israelites now have gone from being convinced that God was going to rescue them to cursing Moses. They've had this conviction in their hearts that yes, God hears us. Yes, God is going to rescue us. Yes, we're going to worship God to how dare you. 
and he cursed, they curse Moses. And I want to ask us all a question this morning. Have you, in your conviction, turned to cursing? Because the attack just got a little too hard. Because it was too much weight on your shoulders. And it became back-breaking labor. And so when you were once convinced, you are now cursing. And it might not be in something like we see here from the Israelite foreman where they're literally cursing Moses, but it might be in your heart and your attitude and how you talk to everybody else around you. And you've begun, rather than believing what God has said for you, you've been cursing everything around you. The enemy does not take what we do lying down. There's going to be attacks. But there's a whole difference in believing what he says and just hearing what he says. So how do, we, how do we stand up to those things? This is the whole point of this morning. How do we stand up when, when we begin cursing and we want to be convinced, but the attack is just too much? Listen to what Moses says in verse 22. Then Moses went back to the Lord. He prays. He prays. Beaches Chapel is one of our, one of our three pillars is pray. Pray, love, serve. Moses was cursed by the Israelites and his first reaction is to go back to the Lord and to pray. Listen, we have all sorts of great things going on here at Beaches Chapel. Things we announced this morning and things we did, impact groups, Bible studies, friendly faith, worship, sermons. The most, I just say, the most powerful thing that we can do here for you is to pray for you. That is number one. All those other things are amazing and we believe in them and we want you to be a part. But the best thing that we can do for you and the best thing that you can do for one another is to pray for one another. It's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason that there's power in prayer. It's because there's power in prayer. It is the best thing that we can do for one another. Moses, when he was attacked by the very people that he was trying to save, the first thing that he did was he went back to the Lord and he prayed. And let's listen to how he prayed and what he prayed. He says, why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people and you have done nothing to rescue, him, to rescue them. Moses is honest. And I want to encourage you this morning. We talked about it a few weeks ago, being honest with the Lord. As, we, as we're praying and fasting over these next 21 days, be honest. Be honest with God and how you're praying. Share with him your frustrations because it's a whole lot easier to remain convinced when we tell God how we're feeling than how we tell everybody else around us. It's a whole lot easier to stay convinced of what God thinks of us when we tell him versus when we post it on social media. It's a whole lot easier to stay convinced of who God is and who we are when we tell him instead of just give up and try and act like everything's okay and everything's wonderful. And we go to God and we, we kind of give these fake prayers. If Moses was honest with God, Moses here, shouldn't we be as well? Listen, the miracles happen when in the midst of the attack we stay convinced. If we can stay convinced of the things that God has for us in the midst of the attack of the enemy, that's when the miracles start happening. But we have to stay convinced. 
And so we're, we pray to God and we pray for one another. Family, let's pray for one another. Say it again, Monday through Saturday here, 6.30 a.m. to 7.30 a.m., we are praying together. We had a great turnout on Saturday. We're believing for more tomorrow. You might say, I'm not a morning person. Try it, all right? And if you just can't make it, just call some people, text some people. Hey, can you be praying for me? Text your impact group. You don't have an impact group? Find, you call the church. We'll pray for you. But we are linking arms, and we're going to believe when we're too weak to believe for ourselves, we're going to believe for one another. And we're going to help each other stay convinced of the things that God has told us, the things that he has put on our hearts and how we are going to be set free. And we are not going to go from being convinced to be people that curse. We're not going to do it. But we have to do it together and it starts with prayer. I'm going to shift gears really quick into a different story. We're just going to highlight a couple here. Nehemiah... One, starting in verse two. Nehemiah is working for the king here, as a little context, and he's wondering about what's going on back home. And this is the report that he gets. It says, Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well. For those who return to the province of Judah, they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. In short, Nehemiah got a bad report. And bad reports are tough, whether it's a bad report from the doctor, from the bank, from a friend, a loved one. Bad reports are hard. Bad reports are personal. And it's something that can easily take our conviction away. They can rob us. And I want to talk really quick about these, this Jerusalem and how the walls have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed. I read this commentary and it said a bad, the bad state of the people and the bad state of the city walls were intimately connected. In the ancient world, a city without walls was a city completely open and vulnerable to its enemies. They had no defense, no protection at all. An unwalled city was always a backward town with nothing valuable in it. If there were anything of value in an unwalled city, it could be stolen away easily because there was no defense to stop it. Those living in an unwalled city lived in constant stress and tension. They never knew when they might be attacked and brutalized. Every man lived in constant fear for his wife and children. So as we read about Jerusalem's walls being down, this wasn't just an aesthetics thing. There was real danger and these walls being torn down. And I believe there are some of us in here this morning that are a Jerusalem with our walls torn down. We're living in constant fear and stress and worry. And then you can't keep the valuable things that God has, is speaking to you and is putting in your heart. You can't hold on to them because the enemy just comes in and robs you. And so the result of that is you continue to live in fear. And you, you, you are, feel devalued and you feel less all because the walls that are there to protect you have been torn down and the enemy is just coming in and coming in and coming in and having his way with you and robbing you of the things that God is trying to tell you. If you want the walls rebuilt, if you want that protection, guess where it starts? With prayer. Here is where Nehemiah shows us what to do. He gets this bad report. And he says in verse four, I heard, when I heard this, 
when I heard this bad report, and fill in the blank for whatever that is for you, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And I love the wording there. His reaction is very human. It's very real. He weeps. He mourns. It's okay. It's okay when we have a bad report to weep and to mourn and be, be sad over that. But not to dwell in that and not to make that our identity. But he goes on and he fasts and he says, he doesn't just pray. I love his wording here. He says he prays to the God of heaven. We don't pray to an idol. We don't pray to a dead God. We pray to the God of heaven, the creator of the universe who has all the authority. There's power in prayer because the person who we're praying to is all powerful. The God that we're praying to is all powerful. That's why there's power in the prayer. It's not about us. It's about who we're praying to. It's about who we're praying to. So when he hears this, he goes to God and he prays. Another story. Esther chapter 4. Love this story. Esther, again, if you're not familiar with it, is the queen. She's a Jew. The king doesn't know she's a Jew. She's the queen of Persia, which has about 127 provinces in it. It's a huge landmass. And there's this guy that's right under the king. His name is Haman. And he has ordered an edict that all the Jews in the provinces of Persia be wiped out. He wants to commit genocide on every Jew. And Esther's dad, Mordecai, comes to her and says, look, you've got to talk to the king. You've got to talk to the king. You've got to talk to the king. You've got to fix this. And her initial reaction is, I can't because I haven't seen him in 30 days. And if I go to the king and he doesn't want to see me, the only law that there is for something like that is death. I'm going to die if I go to the king and he doesn't want to see me. Like the king, even himself, if he didn't want to, he can't throw her in jail. He can't punish her. He can't take away dessert. The only thing that he can do is kill her. And so this is the situation that she is in. Save my own self or try and save an entire nation. And if I go to him and he doesn't want to see me, I die. So this is her reaction the second time because Mordecai goes back to her and says, look, you got to do it. And he gives all the sorts of reasons which we're not going to get into today. But starting in verse 16, he says, uh, she says, so when he comes to her a second time, this is her reply to him. She says, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days Night or day, my maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So her response to this great challenge of trying to save a nation is we're going to fast and we're going to pray. That's the first thing that we're going to do. It's the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to fast and pray. Everything Everything, everything, everything begins in prayer. All of it. There's no, there's no shortcut around it. That is it. Try as hard as you want to try to find something else. It begins with prayer. And the last example, the most powerful example, Luke 22, starting in verse 44, and being in agony, he meaning Jesus, prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus had death in front of him. 
He had the most brutal death he could ever imagine, staring him in the face. And he said, how am I going to do this? I love these people, and I know this is the only way. It begins with prayer. If Jesus, if Jesus knew to do this, certainly we should. You want to know why we need to pray? Because Jesus did. Beginning and end of sermon right there. We need no other explanation. We don't need to expound on it anymore. If Jesus did it, so should we. And he's staring death in the face. He's seeing our faces. And he's saying, this is going to be hard. How can I do this? I know I'm going to start with prayer. And God is going to fill me up. He's going to give me the strength to get through this. And he's going to see me through. But it has to start with prayer. I got to get with my father. The ultimate attack is imminent death right in front of him. And he doesn't lose his his conviction. He stays convinced that God is for him. How? By prayer. That is where it starts. We have to do it more and more and more and more. I'm going to have the band come up. And we're going to have a time of prayer this morning. We're going to practice what we preach. We didn't get to the end of any of these stories, but I'm going to tell you them anyway. Sorry, spoiler alert. (laughs) The Israelites were set free. How? Because God, through Moses, did it. Where did it begin? Prayer. The walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt. How? Because God, through Nehemiah, rebuilt them. Where did it start? Prayer. The Jews were rescued out of Persia. How did it happen? Because God, through Esther, rescued them. Where did it begin? Prayer. And Jesus hung on the cross, died for our sins, and was raised again, and is sitting at the right hand of the Father, pleading on our behalf. How did it happen? Because God as Jesus did it. And where did it begin? With prayer. Prayer is the beginning of everything. And you might be hearing this and saying, yeah, James, but those are all great people who did great things in the Bible. And I'm just me trying to get through the week. So I appreciate those studies, but that's not really me. And I want to say something to you this morning. These people that we're talking about this morning, they didn't pray because they were great. They were great because they prayed. All right, God didn't annoy them. They're great. All right, these are great people. And so they decided to pray. They became great because they prayed. Think about all of these people we talked about. Esther was an orphan. Her adopted cousin became her pseudo-dad. Moses should have been killed. Left by his mom to be discovered by the Egyptians. He was a murderer, he was a fugitive, and he became a shepherd. God moved through him. Jesus, son of a carpenter, born of a virgin. Look, none of these people were born with silver spoons in their mouth. They became great because they prayed first. And I want to I just add this really quick as, as we're continuing our conversation and talking about these 21 days of prayer. 
I read this this morning. It's a little bit off topic, but I want to just consider this as well. Richard Lentz, who's a professor of theology at Gordon-Conwell, said this. He said, the Christian theological framework is primarily about listening, listening to God. One of the greatest dangers we face is our desire to do all the talking. And so as we're talking about prayer this morning, and as we're going to be spending these next few weeks in prayer and fasting, we need to be careful that we don't spend all that time doing all the talking. And we need to let God speak to us as well. And as we're in the midst of attacks of the enemy, we need to be convinced by what he says to us. And so again, I want to encourage you, as you pray in the morning or at night, whenever that is, allow time and space for God to speak to you. If that means just you just sit for an hour and you just speak in tongues with a pen and a piece of paper and write down what he says to you in that time, do that. It means opening the Bible and just reading, not speed reading, but just taking time. God, what do you want to say to me through your word today? Listening to him that way, or it might just be just sitting in silence. Saying, God, speak to me. I'm being attacked, and I need, I need to hear your promises. I need to be convinced again, because I'm, I'm starting to not feel convinced right now. I'm starting to feel my back break, and the attacks are getting a little strong. But know this, if God has said yes, it does not matter what the enemy says. The answer is yes. But it all begins with prayer. We are a praying church. We are a praying church. So we're going to allow that this morning. We're going to have our pastors and our elders come on up. And let's stand as they come forward. We're going to, if you have anything you need prayer for this morning, what are you believing for this year? Pastor Tina talked about that during communion as well. What are you believing for? What miracle do you want to put before God? Run to the Father again and again and again and again. And let's let Him take over. If you need prayer this morning, I'm not even going to put a, you know, a label on it. If you need prayer, come up and get prayed for. If you need to just come to the altar and you just want to pray to God yourself, it is open for you. Tomorrow, 6.30 a.m., we're praying. Be here if you can. Join us for a powerful time. All great things start with prayer. The walls are rebuilt with prayer. The Israelites are delivered in prayer. Freedom begins with prayer. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as he prayed in the garden, it was for you. And because of that miracle that he endured, we have access to God always because we are his children. And you need that today. You're here this morning. Get prayed for to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that we have access to you all the time and that we can come to you over and over and over again. You want us to, Father, as your children. You want us to run to you. God, help us to not be a people that tell everybody else around us and never tell you how we're feeling. Let us run to you first. When we're attacked, let us come to you first. When we get a bad report, let us go to you first. God, when we're afraid, let us come to you first. God, as we're believing for things in our lives, let us remember that it begins with relentless prayer over and over again. In Jesus' name, amen.